fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is great to be here. I, I love the show we're doing today. It's going to be interesting. I mean, this was a show that... At first, I was not necessarily thrilled by, but then I hmm. really got into. So it was an interesting experience for me watching it um, over the four seasons. But we'll talk more about that as we get into it. That's interesting because I know, Denon, as we discussed before, you know, you're a child of the 80s. So I felt like this would have resonated with you yeah, almost perfectly. Oh, oh, all of that part did. It was just like, you know, I wasn't so it, it, I wasn't so concerned about some of the characters. Like it was hard for me to get into <laughs> some of them. But but the the zeitgeist of the show I loved right away. Of course, of course. Well, you know, I, I don't like children myself. Uh, and there's one other person who may hate children more than I do, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you recording from this week? Dan, I found myself outside of a creepy old mansion that contains a portal to a new world. This new world is fascinating, but things there are dark, strange, and, well, just kind of plain upside down. Well, that kind of describes the three of us, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, which is <laughs> it also which <laughs> <laughs> I'm upside down. Yeah, I might be dark. And Ben, I think you're a little strange. I guess I'm the strange one. then. You, right. are the, you are the strange one. But those, Dr. Strange is pretty B.A., uh, you know, so there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a little strange, uh, because, you know, when I was a kid, guys. I was a little strange. Uh, you know, I was, you know, I loved uh, nerdy stuff. Yeah, you know, it doesn't look like it now because, you know, I'm that cool kind of jockey looking guy now. Uh, you know, I look like the, the picture of popularity. But back then when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> I was a kid, very nerdy and into Dungeons and Dragons. You can't get more nerdy than that. But I loved it. I loved being able to tell stories, uh, create characters and really live in a fantasy world. It's very immersive. Um, but I wonder, you know, uh, was this something you guys were into, uh, Ben, I feel like you have, and Denon, you know, uh, I get the same kind of feeling about you as well. So, so Dan, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's been mm. an ironic moment recently in my life. I've started playing Dungeons and Dragons again with my daughter, my brother, and a bunch of nephews and nieces and some of my other kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's been super fun. In the process, my daughter visited uh, my parents uh -huh. and my mom found my 1979 Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Master Guide. Um, oh, wow. I would love to say it is in prime condition. Um, let's just say it's complete. We'll describe it that way. It <laughs> okay. does not have a spine anymore, but they made books well back then. You mm -hmm. could lose the spine and the integrity of the book was preserved. Yeah. Um, and I will just say the best thing about it, um, I actually, as 14-year-old Mike Denon in 1980, yeah. filled out the survey card to enter the contest to win up to $500 and have my name in a Dungeons and Dragons publication and yeah. never tore it out and mailed it in. Oh, so, that's a, that's amazing, Denon. Yep. So I actually know what I was thinking about fun survey questions like, what are your three favorite TV shows? And, you know, what are your hobbies? And it's amazing to see what I wrote. And 
I was right. I got all the answers right, Dan. I'm just going <laughs> to report that here. <laughs> well, 500 bucks back in 1979. That's I mean, I think that's through with a little bit of inflation. That's close to 3.5 million in yeah, today's something dollars. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Certainly, I'm as a 14 year old right. kid, I would have been <laughs> <laughs> set for life. Set if only you'd sent it in, Denon. If only you'd sent it. In. <laughs> I've got a very important question for you, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop some of the the nerdy uh, the nerdy D and D guys listening to us right now and girls. Uh, in that Dungeon Master's Guide, does it have the Cthulhu Mythos in it? Um, in know. the Dungeon Master's Guide, I don't think so. Well, at, no, probably back in the appendix. I have to admit, I haven't made it back to the appendix. I've just started reading look. again at the beginning and got stuck on the fact that, oh, my God, I had to do a lot of math when I played D&D in the early 80s. Cause, For sure. You know, those combat tables were complicated. <laughs> Very yeah. complex, complex combat tables. Well, if you have the mythos, the Cthulhu mythos, maybe we'll talk a little bit off camera because yeah. that uh, that's a very a very rare book indeed. Um, but you know, I want to I want to get some of these some of these fan TV shows. Can we, can we try to pick them really quickly? I'm, I want to. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how well you. I, I think it'll be interesting to maybe ask to see if the audience can guess. We'll ask them before we post it, Dan. But okay, I'm curious right, if right. you can come well, up what with they my should do three is... favorite TV shows. <laughs> What they should do is leave a comment right now yeah, leave about a their right guesses now and then pause it and then find out later so we can see check them. Uh, you know, that's yeah. a great question. Maybe we won't discuss. Oh, I'm, I'm going to give my what I think it is. If you're looking at yeah, the give, 1980s. Give your three, Dad. Well, let me hear Ben's first. I'm the master of film and television. Everyone's <laughs> waiting for mine because they know they're going to be accurate. Uh, as Ben describes, you know, he, Ben said it himself. I, I don't make any wrong decisions here. So I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to upstage him here. So, Ben, let's hear your three first. Well, I'm guessing there's, you know, maybe maybe you're watching like some Tom and Jerry cartoons, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but based pure just on your facial hair. Now, Grand Doctor, <laughs> and you have the full goatee, but. <laughs> Based on the mustache alone, I'm thinking, you know, Magnum P.I. was starting to, uh, <laughs> right around then. And I'm wow. guessing you were a Magnum P.I. fan from the start. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Interesting choices, Ben. Okay. Super interesting. Okay. Uh, now, I'm going to go with probably people watching are going to know these. This is right around the 70s and 80s transition. Uh, I'm going with Dukes of Hazard, and I'm going with The Incredible Hulk. Those were two of my favorites. Uh, and, and I know Den and you and I are contemporaries. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it's possible those would be on the list. I don't know, but let's find out. Magnum PI, uh, Dukes of Hazard, Credible Hulk, put it in the comment section. We're going to post on our, our social media, which of course, uh, we always put in every episode. Yeah. Uh, but this is great stuff. You know, I want to tell you when I was a kid and I was playing D and D, I always wanted to be a paladin. You know, I wanted to be the, the knight in shining armor. Uh, the trick was you had to have a 17 charisma. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, but really quickly, <laughs> Ben, what did you want? Were you into D&D &D and what did you like to be? Dan, I only got into D&D &D as an adult. Uh, and so when I first started, I was playing, I was really into like sorcerers and warlocks. I like just kind of all the flexibility and kind of fun you get with the all the mm -hmm. different spells. But once a uh, fifth edition rolled around, I really got into playing druids. I liked the uh, wild shape ability where you can hmm. turn into animals and do that kind of stuff. That that really intrigued me because it, it gave you a lot of flexibility and creativity. And, you know, what animal would solve this problem better than a boring old elf or human? Well, I, I have. I have to tell you, you know, uh, the other dark secret of my past is in my high school version, Dan, I, mm -hmm. I was a ranger mm -hmm. and I was famous in my group. I was, everybody's heard of this ranger. He's the coolest ranger in the world. His name was Strident. Um, mm -hmm. 
because I really like Strider from Lord of the Rings, but I didn't want to copy the name. And I'm not that creative, so I came up with Strident. Not the gum Trident, let's be clear. I was going to say, that was a gum of the 80s, too. No, no, no. It it sounded a lot like a gum, a lot like a Lord of the Rings character. It was sort of a blend. But that's why I went into physics, because language may not be my biggest skill. (laughs) <laughs> well, I love that you were a ranger. Denon was a druid. I mean, these are the the original environmentalists, right? And here I oh, am yeah. playing, you know, I, I'm playing a, a paladin who's, you know, hey, chopping lawful down good, evil. Which is yeah. really odd, Dan. I'm like kind of trying to figure out your, your desire to save society. And now you're convinced <laughs> we're all going to be destroyed in an apocalypse. But, you know, I'm going with it. I'm rolling with it. Well, well that's why he's a paladin. He's there to stand up for society uh, <laughs> and try to keep it together. Whereas I, as the natural druid... I'm I'm ready for civilization to collapse and <laughs> live in the wild. Uh, well, I will just say this: things change, guys. Uh, you know, things happened to me, and I became the <laughs> cynical person that you see before you. It's almost as if my childhood was one world and my adulthood is another, which is a theme that and Dungeons and Dragons that describes Stranger Things uh, better than anything. I could possibly come up with. And that's this episode was inspired by by Stranger Things. And this is a very interesting setup that they have here, guys, because we've talked a lot about the multiverse. When it comes to uh, the zeitgeist, there's nothing that's more popular than the multiverse. Different universes with different possibilities, whether it's you or just different, um, you know, uh, configurations of, of events. But with this, this is very specific. This is really two connected universes. Uh, I'm going to coin a term term here. I'm going to call it a biverse or a diverse because it's two things. They're coupled together and one affects the other. And this is a very interesting phenomenon. There don't appear to be other ones, but they're inextricably linked. And to me, this is really the quintessential unique part of Stranger Things uh, that I really want to get into. Well, Dan, I love it. I do. I'm a little confused why you're going with diverse versus biverse. It, uh, for me, it's clearly like a biverse, like a bivalve muscle or or you know shellfish animal. Um, right. Diverse makes it sound like you're mispronouncing diverse. So I'm I'm not sure why you went in that direction, but very interesting choice. Well, think about it, Denon. A multiverse is diverse, and it's also a diverse. And there's nothing that makes you sound more intelligent than mispronouncing a word with sounds. Uh, almost European or British, right? You know, you've got uh, all sorts of things. You know, I say charade instead of charade, and and it just makes me look like I've got a couple more IQ points than I do. Well, that's that is a cool choice, Dan. I will give a a, a friendly warning. My daughter discovered mm-hmm. this. She thought risque mm-hmm. was not actually a separate word, and she was just oh. like giving a cool pronunciation to risky. Um, and oh, yeah. told one of her friends he was about to do some risque, uh, you know, actions, yeah. and it caused a lot of confusion, let's just say, in the conversation. <laughs> so I agree mispronouncing can make you sound very cool, but you got to be yeah. careful what you mispronounce. Yeah, you could be innuendo adjacent, which you also want to want to stay away from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's very true. But I mean, you know, when it comes to innuendo, there's nothing that says innuendo more than a group of uh, teenagers running around, uh, <laughs> a gender mixed yes. group of teenagers running around. Uh, but so, so tell me about this, Dennett. You know, when, when you're looking at matter, antimatter, um, that's what I kind of went to with this when it came to, you know, two different universes. But I'm curious what you and Ben think when it comes to how would you create a universe that is coupled, separate but equal, yin and yang, equal and opposite, all that stuff. Well, what I love about this, um, well, I'll go with yours, the, the diverse here, okay, is, is the way they're intimately connected. 
Um, and the cool thing about when you have these portals open up and you see this actual flipping of gravity going on, that's some interesting structure to think about. You know, early on, they call it the upside down. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I, I feel like in the first couple of episodes, you don't get a strong sense of of the gravity piece you just get a sense of them being connected in this weird way and the filming creates the upside down but the way they enter seems to be more um generic i i do find two interesting things about the other world um you can basically live there but it seems very goopy um like um, mm -hmm. i i really would mm -hmm. like to think about like okay so what physical contents constants control goopiness like that, yeah, that's something we've question. not explored on the show. And I think it's worth, you know, I, I think the readers want to know, like what controls so. goopiness. Um, and then so. there's the gravity. But the goopiness is the one that's almost more intriguing to me, Dan. It just came to me now. I'm like, why, why so sticky? Well, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, she controls the goopiness of the world. I mean, that is her her company name. But uh, without, you know, she's not a part of this. Uh, so, no. Ben, let's talk about the non-goopy parts of this world. And if you want to bring goop into it, you know, go right ahead. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting that there's this goopiness and, you know, it, it's this it's this universe that's slightly different from ours. Like, it, it's obviously upside down. The gravity is, mm -hmm. like, flipped or something, or maybe they're just, you know, paired backwards to each other. That, that part's a little confusing. But I think what's interesting is how connected the universes still are. And mm -hmm. I think that's important because, you know, we think about, you know, if gravity is upside down, then like maybe the gravitational constant is flipped or negative instead of positive or something goofy like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we often talk about these things where like, you know, this is a universe with different universal constants and therefore things are different, but it can't be that different from our world because then interactions between the world would be really difficult if parts of the, if the constants were so different, like our vibrations at the like quantum scale wouldn't line up. Um, mm -hmm. if the electricity and magnetism were reversed, uh, we would attract instead of repel. So like if you tried to, you know, touch someone, you'd get stuck to them because your positives and their negative, uh, electro electromagnetism would now cause you to stick together instead of repelling. Um, so there, there's some really interesting mm -hmm. stuff there that it, it kind of shows that these two universes, however, they managed to split from each other. It couldn't have been a very big split. They 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 clearly have to be related for each other for things like mind control to work between them and all this other stuff that we see. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the sticky part, it reminds me of goop. I don't know if that has anything to do. With, that's more I guess that's more hard stick than like tacky. Um, <laughs> this is just me looking at it. Uh, but so here's something kind of interesting. You know, when, when you talk about them being very similar, I, as I mentioned before, I kind of go to matter and antimatter. And here's what's interesting. And then and I'm going I'm to see what you think about this, because I pulled up this article from 2007. And this was uh, University of California. Riverside did this work, then, and so this is this is shameful <laughs> on on your university because I thought you'd be at the cutting edge of this. But they created a molecule that consisted of both antimatter and matter, and it's called dipositronium. Uh, I think that's right, <laughs> dipositronium. This acts like hydrogen. But what's cool about this, 
and I want to get your thoughts on this, is that it contains both matter and antimatter working together, linked together to create an entirely different molecule. This feels like a little bit of what's going on in the Upside Down because as we see in the show, things get pulled from our universe into the Upside Down and they're fundamentally changed. I'm going to call this the Silent Hill effect. Anyone who's seen that show or watched that movie knows that there's two worlds that are very similar, but there seems to be an effect where when one goes into the other, it becomes completely changed and altered at the fundamental, um, I would say, molecular, possibly atomic, and then, and I'm guessing you would say, at the quantum level. Well, you know, I think there is some change there. You're right, Dan, depending on who goes in. Um, you know, in this case, the, the people, you know, the main characters don't change that much. Other characters do. Um, mm. I, I, I doubt... To be honest, as cool as the matter-antimatter thing is, I think that's less relevant here because matter-antimatter really is just about the charge of the object. Um, and if you have two particles like electrons, the matter and antimatter, they're going to annihilate with each other. So you're going to have to be really careful with your matter-antimatter molecules. Like uh, an antimatter electron and a matter proton or vice versa, they're okay. They're not going to annihilate because they're different particles. But you you do have some interesting challenges there. It's not a bad way to go, Dan, but I think I think this is more subtle changes. I was thinking about I think the goop is a hint. And it's okay. subtle changes in Planck's constant, which controls the strength of things. So if you think about mm -hmm. friction, you mentioned hard and soft stuff, right? And Ben sure. mentioned how our atoms and stuff repel. All mm -hmm. of that is a quantum effect, Dan. You were right about the quantums. And if quantum mechanics mm -hmm. is just a little different, we can find ourselves slightly stickier, slightly goopier. And I could imagine people changing just a little bit as they go as they go through, you know, and objects changing a little bit. So I think this is a subtle change, not a dramatic okay. matter antimatter change. But you know, okay. I'm a subtle person. I'm into well, the nuance. So let me just a quick question. Does antimatter do they does it have different properties? So let's say a hydrogen atom made up of antimatter with positrons and uh that's all I know, positrons. Uh, yes, positrons <laughs> and, say, protons. Say, then you yes. got anti-electrons and protons. There you go. So let's say you have a – is there are there any property differences between them, or are they basically you know, the same? It's not really that different. It's just going to be how it interacts with regular – right? You're going to have problems when those positrons hit the regular electrons of regular okay. matter. So you just got to be careful that they don't touch each other. That Matter-antimatter is just really bad if the same things that are opposite touch each other because then they like to just combine and form light. Um, okay. And so it's a very bright reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think the, the interesting thing about it is if the entire universe could be antimatter instead and then we would just think it's matter. Like mm -hmm. it, it's it literally is just kind of the role of the dice uh, you know, getting back to that diverse, you know, yep. the roll of the dice right. there, uh, whether right. we ended up being yep. a matter or an antimatter universe, it could have been the other way um, if things had gone a little different during the Big Bang. But we ended up in the matter version. Well, here's a, here's another question. So I, would, I when I was a kid, you know, still nerdy uh, in my in my nerdy days, uh, which haven't really ended. But we're going to save that for another conversation. When I play this, I play this game called Master of Orion, and in it, you play a bunch of different alien races, and one of them really intrigued me. It was this silicone-based society. This was interesting because as I read about it, it turns out that, car you know, we became carbon-based life forms because it was available and, and it works really well and it's probably easier than silicone. But when it 
when you get down to it, silicone's everywhere. I mean, it's actually more prevalent in the Earth's soil than carbon. So it's a little odd because you can swap them out. You could create a silicone-based life form, which would be very, you know, it's, it's, it's organic. It, you know, it would do some of the same things. We'd have similar properties, but a little bit different. And I like this because it is still organic matter in the sense that we know it. You can create living creatures, but it's the fundamental piece that makes them what they are is different. Uh, what do you think about this? Uh, ben, I'm going to go to you first. Because what, sure. what do you think about this? Is I could see, you know, you creating in your lab silicone-based <laughs> life forms and, you know, uh, sending them out to destroy the world. Well, well, certainly we have silicon computer-based life forms. You know, we've talked about that a little <laughs> bit with AIs and things. But yeah. but the, the chemical version is, is interesting. And they're, the what's interesting about it is because they're in the same column of the periodic table, a lot of the chemistry is the same. It's just the environment for those uh, reactions is different. So for silicon to to have... Silicon to react the same way carbon does requires higher temperatures and higher pressures and things like that. So mm -hmm. it's certainly possible that you could have an environment where you have those higher temperatures and pressures that would allow for silicon chemistry to be the prevalent chemistry rather than carbon chemistry like we have on our planet because it's colder here and there's water and things like that. You could have this, the mm -hmm. exact same thing happen with silicon if the environment was correct. And for me, I think about the old movie Evolution where that that creature is um, a silicon-based life form, and they figure out how to kill it by by going over to arsenic. They go to arsenic from carbon and follow the same pattern and find selenium is what would kill the silicon life form, and they use that to poison the alien that's threatening her. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Well, I, I have to say, Dan, I'm, I'm a, uh -huh. a kindred nerd spirit. I loved uh -huh. it when I first discovered that as Ben said, silicon and carbon had the same bonding properties that yeah. you could make silicon life forms. I thought that yeah. was amazing. That's and great. I am still working under the assumption that the first aliens we find will be silicon based. Hmm. Um, and shockingly similar um, in many ways, um, but with a slightly different chemistry. So I'm, I, I, I claim dibs on that um, prediction of that discovery. <laughs> you got it. Uh, you got it, Denny. You heard it here first. Uh, but there's another. There's another thing here, Denny, that we can we can look at, which is what we see in season four of Stranger Things is this connection to a dream world that, in some ways, allows you to see the upside down and interact with it in a strange way. And I wonder if this is, you know, if this is a perception thing, Denon. I mean, wh what do you think about this? Because when you're looking, you know, I, I, I just did a Fascinating Nouns episode um, on, on thinking straight, using your brain. And one of the things we talked about was how, you know, light doesn't look like light. It's really just wavelengths. I think we talked about this on a previous, you know, episode of, of this show. Uh, this is kind of fascinating because in the dream world, you're really in some ways not hindered by your sensory inputs. You're really only limited by your the imagination of your brain. And I feel like there's some quality here, Denon, uh, that connects the reality to the upside down. I, I think you're right. I think this is a great direction to go. Uh, my other nerd thing, I have been fascinated um, with really perception, the brain, mm -hmm. even sort of some version of like psionic powers. We mentioned D&D &D at the beginning. My other favorite character was a psionic monk. Um, that I played. I love this. Um, 
You and, and I were kindred spirits then, and because most yeah. people didn't play psionics, I, that was my favorite class. I love. Oh that. yeah, no, I loved having psionics. It's interesting now that I'm playing again. I feel yeah. like it's really improved the magic user world. Like it makes yeah. sense to be a wizard now, which is what I am now. Back mm-hmm. then, you basically died right away. Uh, yeah. Psionics were <laughs> um, much cooler. But psionics have seemed to be downplayed in the in the current version in a lot of ways. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it. But anyway, I digress. Or I diverse. I don't know you which di- I You do. digressed, for sure. <laughs> I digressed, yeah. yeah. But I do think there's there's so much fascinating stuff. And we've done various episodes now in the dreams and the mental world. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole consciousness and what is real versus what do we experience and how do we interpret reality. That was the part of the show that I really, uh, you know, I mentioned at the beginning. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're cool 80 kids. I love D&D. I love the 80s zeitgeist. But, you know, what's going on in the show? The, the whole journey for Eleven and the mental power experience and how that really worked, I thought was really well done, you know, as we try and think about what might be involved in manipulating dreams or mental powers or how you do it. So I found that fascinating. I just love what, what did you say? The, the mental power experience. That's a great that's a yeah. great band name for in the in the 80s or at least an album title for yeah. sure, for, for sure. Uh, ben, what did you think about this as someone who I imagine probably I, I, I feel like when you were a kid, you were trying to move objects with the power of your mind, possibly after seeing uh, anything with a Jedi in it. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say for sure if I tried to do it in real life, but I mm-hmm. definitely had recurring memories. Uh, recurring memories, recurring <laughs> dreams. Of, yeah, I had recurring memories of being telekinetic. No, I had recurring <laughs> uh, dreams of of telekinetic powers, and uh, often kind of pseudo nightmares where like I would be telekinetic and then it would stop working, and I'd be like, oh, why, no. why am I not? Oh, Where'd my worst. telekinesis go? This is yeah. That, so I certainly the force had an effect on me in that sense. You were yeah, like eleven. Could. I mean, that that happens in this show quite a bit. She exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, times. Very. Yeah, I have to admit, times. I was the geeky kid who challenged people, and I've said I can move that cup with my mind, um, and they really? would say, "Yeah." <laughs> so, so, sort of like challenging people that I can move my. I am, you know, a physics phenom with my mind, and yes. right now. I am moving it with my mind because my mind is telling my hand to pick up the cup. Therefore, it is moving with my mind. I won lots of bets that way and made lots of enemies. So, you know, if you want the psionic cup, I recommend buying it. But did you make lots of money? That's the key part. You know, we yeah, well, enemies I, well, are well, we don't want to make enemies here. We want to make money here, Dennis. I, I, I made money and I got threatened to be beaten up. So, you know, it worked both ways. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, I, I think the problem there, Dan, is you, you need something sturdier than a mug. You need your <laughs> your metal water bottle. That way, when you get beat up for your mental games there, uh, you have uh, something a little more sturdy to fight off the blows with. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. My mug is stuck in my dream world. Uh, but what <laughs> I want you to do is use your mental powers and come up with a great quote that will end up on a shirt. And that's what we're going to do uh, for this episode. So there's going to be plenty of merchandise at triplegbt.com backslash merch. That's where you find it all. Uh, but, you know, Dennett, you brought up this idea of, um, what was it? The, the, the I forget what now, the mind power experience, the mental power experience. The mental experience. power experience. <laughs> yeah. Mental power experience. And I love this because in this episode, one of the other things they kind of explore, which has been fascinating to me, is the government's work 
in psychic phenomenon. You know, we see this, uh, and also in Ghostbusters, you see parapsychology as a little foreshadowing to a future Halloween episode. Uh, but I love this idea that that from the U.S. government, and and you know, we were also in competition with the, with the Soviet government as well. But that there was something to mental powers, and you know, for I think almost thirty five years, the Stargate project was alive and well. There's a movie and a book called Men Who Stare at Goats. Uh, this was a real thing that the government invested in. It was declassified in the 90s. Um, and, you know, spoiler alert here, Denon, you work at UC Irvine with one of the people who who um, t- took a look at all the data from the Stargate project and assessed it. Possible future fascinating nouns episode. Uh, so I'm very excited about this. But as you can tell, I can barely contain my excitement on this topic that we see in Stranger Things. Denon, I know you love mental powers. Uh, do you think there's something out there and do you want to be part of a government project to uncover it? Well, I, I definitely don't want to be part of a government project. I, um, I'm going to just Good. work on it myself, Dan. That was a test. Um, that was a test, Denon. I wanted to see what you said. <laughs> but I, I, I'm a little worried that I may be part of one and not know it. Um, that, that's my bigger fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there's really... What I liked about Stranger Things, so like in the earlier episodes, a lot of her mentor powers are the classic throwing people around, blowing things up, yeah. you know, whatever, yeah. right? Um, I'm much more interested in the uh, the distortion of reality or the impacting reality mental power. Um, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued really by the idea, you know, that our sensory systems and our brain are an interface, right? Taking yeah, whatever's right. out there, converting it to data, and we have an internal processor. And so we create this idea that at some level we create reality mm-hmm. and what we see, like, you know, you know, philosophers stress over this all the time. I mean, I remember being annoyed in college when I was asked, well, what is brown really? And I'm like, well, it, it's brown. Like, why are we asking this question? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> as a physicist, brown was a wavelength of light, like done. Right. Um, but, but as I've gotten older, I've really been intrigued by, okay, if the brain is interpreting all this data and creating, and as you said, Dan, when we're in our dreams, right. we don't have the limit of that interface, right? It's just the internal yeah. systems processing. Mm-hmm. Like, can you can you change your own interface and then see a new reality because of that and, mm-hmm. and explore new aspects of reality? So that's a mental power that's a little different than, you know, staring at goats and making them do something, but maybe staring at goats and realizing they're actually not goats. There's something else mm. and you just think they're goats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could could be something mm. that happens. So that's the piece of it, of that that mental power experience that I thought this show raised an interesting question mm. about. Well, I will say yeah. that, you know, what is Brown and other aspects of reality, uh, a memoir of a physics phenom might be, that might be your <laughs> memoirs there, Denon. That's a great title for a book. Uh, <laughs> we need to get, get you working on that. Uh, what do you think about that, Ben? I can see you as a man who stares at goats. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly I like I enjoy the goats, you know, who clean our br- the brush off of our uh, hillsides and things like that here in uh, <laughs> California. But that's yeah. that's less a mental thing and more of a you know fire uh, prevention thing. I yeah. think I think what's interesting about the mental power and the study of mental powers in general is there's there's been a lot of research into this. Uh, my uh, my school, my alma mater specifically, Washington University in St. Louis, tried to do. Uh, a, some very interesting parapsychology, para, you know, telekinesis experiments. And the reality is some charlatans had uh, scammed their way in as the test subjects and mm. were accomplishing all the abilities with magic tricks. 
and sh- trying to, mm. and trying to show the researchers how they if they were going to actually study this stuff they need to use real scientific controls and yeah. and not just you know kind of go by the seat of their pants and it's a really interesting thing that um telekinesis is you know there there's certainly some some possible physical causes for it right we know that our brains are electrical mm-hmm. objects and we know that with enough power the elect you know electromagnetic uh electromagnetic uh, fields coming from you could affect the real world. That's a totally reasonable thing to happen. And so Mm -hmm. it's really just a matter of power, not a matter of possibility. And so Mm -hmm. I think what's, what's interesting when we think about it is what, how could, is it possible to amplify somebody's bioenergy enough that they could say, turn their body into a magnet that could attract a, a ferromag, ferromagnetic material from a distance you know, it, it's not impossible, but it, it obviously requires a lot of power. And that's what we often talk about in this show is where mm-hmm. does the power come from? Where's the energy come from to accomplish things like these telekinetic powers that we see? Hmm. Well, I love that you brought up, you know, the, the parapsychology lab at your university. It's it's interesting to, you know, we mentioned the, the aforementioned Stargate project was originally a part of Stanford University. Uh, mm-hmm. Duke famously had a parapsychology program. UCLA had a parapsychology program all in the 70s. As a matter of fact, you know I hate to do shameless plugs on this show, guys. Uh, it's embarrassing when I do it, but I got to do <laughs> one here. Uh, what started Fascinating Nouns, my, my other podcast, my first episode was with Dr. Barry Taff, who was the premier subject for the UCLA Parapsychology Lab. Uh, and it, what's interesting is that they got positive results. I, you know, I, I don't know where all this information is, and I don't know if the 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 ability of normal humans to do this stuff is so small that statistically it's it's insignificant or it's only slightly significant where you know now we have advanced spy programs so that stuff doesn't really work uh, i don't know a lot of it, it's super interesting and i think they look at this in this show where we don't see it very often with programs to kind of dive into um you know the psychic phenomenon and the actual study of it you know obviously this is heightened and and um, exaggerated to, to say the least or maybe we don't know there could be you know an 11 type person locked up in a in a complex or a bunker you know 20 stories below the ground underneath area 51 we don't know for sure uh but and i do know I do have yeah, oh, go sorry. On, please. No, please. Oh, I, I, I do have two questions for you on that. You mentioned okay. locked under a bunker. Mm-hmm. I was kind of curious why an outhouse in the middle of the desert seemed like a good disguise. Uh, that looks very <laughs> suspicious. That's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, so that that's number one for you as, as we talk yeah. about the government program. I yeah. also, you know, this idea of extreme power and energy, I think, was why mm-hmm. they went with the film technique of nosebleeds. Right to mm-hmm. to generate a message of this is hard, um, but it's just disgusting. Understand. By the way, I wish they could do something else, but I think you're I right know it, it doesn't seem like that would necessarily be the cause. And I'm wondering uh, your opinion on the analogy to when Spider Man or any other hero really exceeds their limit, their clothing rips. Right, like there is something in the world <laughs> about like uh, you know material failures that don't seem connected to the action. So you know outhouses yeah. in the desert and material failure. Um, you triggered those thoughts as you were talking about, you know, the extremism. Is it 11 really out there? Do we just mm-hmm. look for people with nosebleeds? Is that how we detect this, you think, Dan? 
Mm. Well, I don't think nosebleeds are the, the the way, but but you stumbled onto something here, Denon, and I think it's that extreme force. I mean, when you look at like power lifters, right? You want to talk about people ripping their pants? There's plenty of YouTube right. videos of power lifters, you know, taking the seat out of their drawers and you know uh, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of I think that's what happens with Superman. It's this extreme, this extreme, you know, uh, this this tension of your muscles as you're trying to do something very difficult. When you're trying to do something mental. I think the only way to show that is your brain slowly starting to melt, and that would be, you know, in the form of a nosebleed. Uh, but I imagine, you know, while your brain isn't a muscle per se, you know, I imagine overtaxing it would break blood vessels as you're trying to get more blood to your brain yeah. to more feed oxygen. it. Nutrigen, yeah. yeah, to get more nutrients, yeah. oxygen, all that stuff, you know? I think okay, that's I like important. that, Dan. You convinced me. Thank yeah, you. I think that's important to think about because I think it's less the – you know, your brain is bleeding through your nose because that's not what's, what I think is happening. <laughs> oh, I but, think it's what's happening, Ben. Your brain is melting. I want to see but scientific. What it, but what is important is, you know, if we talked about this, you know, you have to generate a lot of power to make these telekinetic powers or yeah. uh, or maybe it's just project, you know, image projection like we see at the beginning of season two when um, eight, uh, you know, makes the cop think the bridge is collapsing through like a, brain projection kind of thing. I mm-hmm. think what's important to think about is you require a lot of energy and energy comes from the blood, the blood, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's how you get energy to your brain where the, your bioelectricity comes from. And so it may be less that, you know, your brain is melting and more that your blood pressure and your pulse had to go up so high to provide the energy needed to accomplish this task that hmm. places where your blood vessels are very thin and very close to the surface, like in your nose, now they're leaking because of all of the extra pressure and pulse that had to to happen to give you that power. Mm-hmm. I think it's right. I mean, when your muscles are straining, they pull. They got to pull the nutrients from from someplace, and that's in your blood. That's when you're, you know, when when uh, when I'm working out. That's why I'm at biceps. You know, just like Hulk Hogan, <laughs> I got 24 inch pythons. And so when that happens, you got to, they get swollen with blood. Same thing happens with your mm-hmm. brain. Um, although I'd like to do, a, I'm going to probably put a quick Twitter poll uh, if the if your nosebleed is your brain melting or. Is it what you just said, Ben? Uh, we're going to find out. We're going to put that out in the Twitterverse. Uh, but one thing here we got, you know, when you're talking about the last thing we got to cover here, guys, is, you know, you're talking about this outhouse, Denon. Area 51 is hard to get into. The upside down is next to impossible to get into. So how do you do it? Well, it's portals. The outhouse is a portal into the underground bunker. We see these, you know, these 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 rifts in reality, uh, these cut through the veils. Um, and I want to talk about this very briefly because one interesting thing that does happen in season four, uh, we talked about this a little bit in our Journey to the Center of the Earth episode, but they're, they're trying to, cl- you know, there's a, a rift that's happened on the top, on the ceiling of a, of a trailer, and they're trying to get into the upside down, so they have to put a rope through it. But once the rope gets through the portal, and then the physics switches. Gravity then goes up, so basically the rope falls up into the upside down. There's this shift once you transfer from universe to universe where the laws of physics seem to shift, switch. Um, and, and to me, that's very interesting, and I want to cover that, but we got to cover that before we end this episode. No, I, I agree, Dan. And this is where I think uh, uh, an idea from general relativity, looking at string theory, looking at trying to unite quantum mechanics and gravity that we've not really talked about comes in. And this is the brain theory. Now we've talked a lot about melting brains. It's not those brains. Yep. <laughs> um, this is br- brain as in membrane. You just drop the mem because we're lazy as physicists. Yep. Um, yep. The other way I think about it is Bane with an R, um, mm-hmm. B-R-A-N-E. So you, just so Bain, everyone Bain knows what R. brain I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, 
and and what these are are sort of sheets of reality that are mm -hmm. different dimensions, different universes um, that can be closer and farther apart. Um, and the idea is that gravity is actually the only force that possibly goes across from one brain to another. The one way we could think about the upside down is one of these brains, one of these sheets got very, very close to ours. So close, in fact, that they touched. I would believe that's very close. I think yeah. most would accept that definition. Yeah, uh, and, now, and now just think of, you know, literally like to, you know, if you have a sheet in the middle and gravity always points towards that sheet, it's mm -hmm. going to point in opposite directions on both sides. That's the only choice. Right. Right. Okay. If the sheet is the center of gravity in a sense. So um, it's kind of an abstract way of thinking about it. But I think thinking of these as two two brains in that sense coming together mm -hmm. um, could be a possible direction to grow. And that would explain this flip of gravity when you went across a hole between them. And I think you could do a little trick where you could balance an egg in the middle on that middle brain that would have basically no either all of gravity focusing on it or no gravity at all. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, there's that kind of that tricky, very little middle point, which is weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that, that's a that's a fun thing about uh, like astrophysics and and the study of orbits and things there. You know, there's Lagrange points. There's places mm -hmm. where gravity cancels out. And clearly the 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 dead center of this transition between the two places that gravity would cancel out. But what, what's also important about that is it, it's not a stable point, right? If you, as soon as you get slightly to either side, you're going to fall into the other world. So mm -hmm. while we do have this Lagrange point there, it's an unstable Lagrange point. So I, I, I would be very impressed, but if you could, you know, balance that egg there for very long. <laughs> When I like that you went with the pronunciation of Lagrange instead of Lagrangey, which is how it's typically <laughs> Lagrange, said. Yeah, yeah, Lagrange. <laughs> uh, but it, see, you did it too. Diverse Lagrange, um, Sherrod. What was the other one you said, Denon? That was Tarje. Uh, risque. Tarje. Risque. <laughs> and Tarje. Uh, language is extraordinarily important, and so is equilibrium, which is what you're talking about. And when it comes to equilibrium. You know, we've talked about a lot here, but there's things on the other side of this equation that we haven't talked about that we have to do to even up this show. And that's our errors, additions, and omissions section here, guys. Uh, this is things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Uh, Denon, is there anything about Stranger Things or anything that we've talked about that you wanted to touch upon? Well, I, uh, two things. One, um, you know, in the realm of D&D, &D, now that I, I have my Dungeon Master Guide back, um, mm -hmm. I do want to go and rewatch the Dungeons and Dragons scenes very carefully. Um, mm -hmm. I fear that they may have been actually using modern rules in some of the dice rolls mm -hmm. um, and wow. not the official 80s rules um, just to make it simpler. But, you know, like I said, that's going to take a careful analysis, right? That that sure. um, is, is a closer reading than I had in the first. And I was watching for science the first time through, not D&D &D rules. So of I course. will be honest about that. Um, the other thing, just touching briefly, you know, on our on our discussion of mental powers, I do really wonder if instead of a whole nother diverse, um, mm -hmm. that really it's all one verse, it's a universe, and it's mm -hmm. just two mental views of it, that what's happening is your brain is just changing its filters, um, sort of like, you know, maybe a camera putting in a different filter. So mm -hmm. you actually are still in our world, you just experienced it fundamentally differently. And maybe that's what the music is doing. It's resetting your brain filters. So hmm. I think there's a whole nother episode on brain filters that could hmm. be fun to do. So those are <laughs> yeah. my two additions, errors, and comments. 
Uh, I love Brain Filter. That's another great '80s album too, uh, by the uh, by the Brain Trust. <laughs> Brain Trust for our promo, our debut album is Brain Filters. Uh, what about you, Ben? Is there anything that you wanted? Is there anything you know you wanted to filter out through your brain? Be it B R A I N or uh, or B R A N E. I can't spell. Uh, what, what do you got on this episode? Well, I do need to filter out a previous statement where I misremembered how the evolution chemistry worked uh, from that old movie. Uh-huh. They, they actually went to the side on the periodic table, not down, which would actually make sense. Uh, right. But 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 the point still stands. Like it, it's fascinating stuff that the the columns of the periodic table kind of define how each column into these all kind of work similarly, chemically speaking. Yeah, so that's yeah. that that's the important point to remember. Um, other than that, I just think about all sorts of things like in Star Wars, where you know gravity is manipulated in other ways. Like there's there's a a fun old story in the EU where they made a prison upside down so that mm-hmm. when people tried to get to the top, they were going deeper. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and they had a portal there where you slowly walked around a, a hallway where gravity slowly changed as you walked through it. And so I, th- I think that's interesting when we look at the Stranger Things portals where things change instantly. And boy, would that be uncomfortable. Like, I think you would, like, puke or fall over. I mean, I guess they do kind of fall over because you kind of just fall into the other world. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, it's this interesting problem of how do you make that switch without, like, just being ill and at such unease. And it makes me think a little bit about what Denon said, where it's a filter and not an actual reversal. Well, I love that. And you mentioned periodic tables. I got to stick something in here. As I remember being a kid, uh, roughly about the age. Well, no, I couldn't have been the age because I was in high school. I- I'm misremembering everything here. But what I do remember is watching this <laughs> video where everything down um, one of the, I think it's the plus one side of the periodic table, which starts at sodium. They throw like a chunk of sodium into the water and it was like a little bit yep. of an explosion. And as mm-hmm. you slowly move down the periodic table, uh, it almost becomes a nuclear explosion as they <laughs> throw these things into the water. Yep. It just gets more unstable and explosive as it interacts with H2O. Uh, I found that interesting. Uh, I loved, you know, I loved the Scoops Ahoy from season three. That was, I mean, that that I have to mention that. The outfits, um, you know, everything about Scoops Ahoy, I, I loved it. And of course, De- Ben, I mean, we can't get out of this episode without talking about the, the sheer number of kids in peril, screaming children, four seasons of it. You really took one for the team here uh, watching this show. So I want to thank you. You know, I, I think I speak on behalf of Denon when I say thank you for, for putting yes. up with that for, for this episode. Well, I appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't go unnoticed, then, uh, Ben. Yeah, uh, so without screaming. Yeah, yes, I, I appreciate your enjoyment of uh, blowing things up by throwing it in water. And uh-huh. you know, I know, I know, schools get a lot of harassment these days. There's a lot of political stuff out there. I don't want to sure. trigger a political discussion, but mm-hmm. I, I do miss the days where we could just randomly blow things up in school. Um, I know it's not safe. <laughs> I know it's problematic. Yeah. But, you know, the 80s were good for blowing stuff up. And we had yeah, many definitely. a chemistry lab that blew up in my um, high school experience um, in advanced lab. Um, so I, I appreciate that shared memory of, of explosions. <laughs> I mean, to, you know, elephant toothpaste out of control, things blowing up. I remember my chemistry teacher left, you know, chemistry teachers like a pharmacist has all their chemicals in like a locked room, at least in my high school. And I remember I did a lot of after school stuff. Again, I was a nerd. And I remember that, you know, our chemistry teacher walked away and it was just open. I mean, acids, uh, you know, explode anything you could any smart kid, you know, any Walter Whitey type person could have walked in there and created anything 
Uh, but it's just amazing. The, the lack of security, Denon, is what I'm getting at here. Uh, but there's a place that has almost little to no security, and of course, that's the internet. And that's where you find us. So if there's anything you want to talk about that we didn't get to, um, you can get in touch with us. It's pretty easy. The show's on Twitter, at FGGGBTPod, Facebook, at FGGGBT, and of course, we have a website, FGGGBT.com. But individually, we are also easy to get a hold of. Denon, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name. That's at Denon Michael. Um, and on Facebook, you stick in the prof at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And you can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, just remember to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. Now, we've introduced you to some extraordinarily powerful information that can help you traverse not only our universe, but possibly one that is very close by. You have to be very careful with this information. You don't want to misuse it. Remember, we always tell you, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening